Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I want to welcome you to Element Church this morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're excited that you chose to join us for worship this morning as we are in, I guess, what would technically be week five. Um, of, of our series called Simply Stated. Now, if you weren't here for the first four weeks, don't worry that uh, these, these messages don't build upon one another. Uh, so so you, you will be right caught up with all of us uh, this morning. But what we've been doing uh, as a church is looking at Jesus's final conversation uh, before he is arrested and then crucified. And so like we have said before, this conversation could have been 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe an hour. Uh, what we know is that the conversation started um, inside a room where Jesus and his disciples had just had their uh, final supper together. Uh, they leave that. They walk um, just outside the city of Jerusalem where they were. Just on the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem is something called the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives is something called the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where Jesus is going to take his disciples. Uh, they're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer there. And it is in that garden where the, the guards and the Roman soldiers will show up to arrest Jesus. And so from the time it takes them to wrap up dinner, and to head out uh, outside the city and uh, up onto this uh, Mount of Olives uh, is, the, is the amount of time that this conversation takes place. And um, as you can all imagine, Jesus, knowing it's his final moments, his final hours um, before his arrest and execution, uh, he begins to share with his disciples things that he's taught before. Not all of this is brand new, but he's trying to re-emphasize some things for them things that they're going to need when he's gone. And he tells them over and over in this conversation, hey, I am leaving. I, I'm leaving. I'm not staying here with you. The disciples are having a hard time understanding, like, why would he leave? Like, where does he want to go? Why does he keep telling us where I'm going? You cannot follow. Um, and, and so they're having a hard time understanding, but Jesus is trying to prepare them for when he's gone. He's trying to give them the last uh, essentials uh, that they're going to need to carry on his ministry and his mission. And that's why we called this series Simply Stated, because Jesus boils down what the disciples need to know, what are the most basics, fun, basic fundamentals of Christianity, of what it means to be a follower of Christ or a disciple of Christ, um, and it's very simply stated. And so we've just been going through and looking at some of these topics that Jesus brings up and he brings them up over and over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, the topic for today that we're going to talk about, Jesus mentions on five or six different occasions within this one conversation. Within a 30-minute conversation, he brings up this same topic at least five or six times. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open up our Bibles together and look at this final conversation. Um, we're going to jump around a bit because we're just going to hit all the places where Jesus brings up our topic for today. Um, so we will be in John chapter 14 through 16. So if you brought your Bible, um, feel free to open it up. You can use one of ours that were in the seats if you'd like, or uh, open up your Bible app and uh, on your phone or tablet. Click Live Events, Element Church, and then you'll be right there with us. Um, so we're going to start in John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, we're really at just the beginning stages of this conversation. This, this final conversation really starts towards the end of chapter 13. And, and here's what Jesus says in this first part we actually read last week. Verse 15, 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is, Jesus, this is not the first time that Jesus has mentioned the Holy Spirit, but this is where it gets most explicit. This is where, as Jesus is preparing to leave, he wants to reassure his disciples, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. I have somewhere to go, but I will not leave you alone. And Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit to be with and in the disciples as one of the key components of their ability to carry on Jesus' ministry and mission. And what Jesus is going to do over the next 30 minutes of his time in this conversation is he's going to bring up the Holy Spirit over and over and over to give the disciples some comfort of what the Holy Spirit is going to do, of why he is sending the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of times, depending on the background in which you grew up, maybe you grew up in a, in a church environment, if you grew up in church at all, where the Holy Spirit was talked about a lot. Maybe you grew up in an environment where the Holy Spirit wasn't hardly ever mentioned, right? Like we talk about Jesus a lot, talk about Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead, uh, believing in Jesus. We talk about that a lot, but we don't mention the Holy Spirit a lot. So regardless of where you come from, what your background is, maybe you have very little to no background in church and you're going, I have no idea what this Holy Spirit is that you're referring to. Um, I don't get it. Um, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit today, and really we're going to focus in on, um, within the constraints of what Jesus is doing in this conversation, what is the Holy Spirit coming to do, and why is he coming? Um, what we notice in the New Testament, um, Ephesians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, throughout the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit... Um, is promised to those who believe in Jesus. That the Holy Spirit becomes a gift that God sends as a part of his own presence to be with those who believe in Jesus. So what is the Holy Spirit coming to do? Why is he coming? And notice a key point that, that I'm careful to say. Why is he coming, not why is it coming? Because as the New Testament describes, the Holy Spirit is a person, has personhood, is a representation and a part of God that he sends to us. And why does the Holy Spirit come and what is the Holy Spirit here to do? So let's just look at a few things that Jesus says in this final conversation that he has with his disciples. If you have the Bible app open, it's going to be a lot easier for you because I've already laid out all of these scriptures in order that we're going to cover. Otherwise, you'll just have to follow along with us. Um, they'll be on the screen for you as well. John chapter 14. So we're just going to skip down a few verses to verse 25. And this is what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, notice Jesus uses those same kind of pronouns too, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and to remind us of 
what Jesus taught and what his life and his mission and his ministry were all about. Now, we have been on a journey as a church. It's been a little bit of a long journey. I recognize it. It's my fault. But we've been on a journey through the Gospel of John. It's just taken us a long time to get through it. Okay? And what you notice in the Gospel of John, as well as all the other Gospels, the the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, is that the disciples don't always get it. Right? We turn the disciples into these superheroes. Right? Um, Like, they're some kind of hall of fame, all-stars, like, Clearly, Jesus went through and picked the best of the best of the best. And what we realize is that the disciples are regular people. As a matter of fact, there may even be like below average um, because uh, they didn't make the cuts in other areas of life. Like Jesus did not pit people with very respected, prestigious jobs. He could have. There, there were thousands of religious leaders and Uh, religious experts, people who were experts on the Old Testament law and with the Jewish faith and the kind of people that Jesus usually debated with and, and challenged. But there were thousands of people who were far more qualified and Jesus chose 12 ordinary men. And what people would later say about them that we read in the book of Acts when they saw the disciples who were carrying on Jesus' ministry and mission, wondering how are they doing these things, their description of of them was, these are ordinary, uneducated men, but they've been with Jesus. That was their description of the disciples. Ordinary, uneducated men who had been with Jesus. But during Jesus' time in ministry with them, just being around Jesus was helpful, but not enough to like solve all their problems in the immediate moment. There were a lot of times the disciples didn't get it. Like Jesus would teach, and he would be teaching thousands of people. And then disciples would pull him aside later and be like, okay, can you explain to us what you just taught? Because we don't get it. Like, I, I don't, what? As a matter of fact, we've read this already in this final conversation Um, that's taking place in John 13 through 16. At one point, Jesus says, okay, I'm no longer going to speak in uh, in figures of speech with you. And the disciples respond, thank goodness. Like, they're like, we're so glad you're going to quit using like these really spiritual, you know, words that you're going to quit teaching us by telling us a story. Just tell us plainly. All right, don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to make it, you know, easy to listen to. Just tell us what you want. And, uh, and the disciples don't always get it, right? At one point, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they have all these answers. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus was like, congratulations, Peter. You get it. And I promise you this, it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed this to you. Meaning you didn't figure this out just because of your own human intellectual capabilities. You get it because God has revealed it to you. Big moment, right? Then Jesus says, come. It's time to go to Jerusalem. It's time for me to die. And Peter's like, uh, no. Like, Jesus, you don't get it. You're not smart enough. Like, Clearly, I have all the answers. I just answered the question right. Like, no, Jesus, you can't die. That's not how it's going to work. And literally 30 seconds after saying, like, the greatest thing on earth and having Jesus, like, congratulate you, Jesus then turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, because you don't get it. I mean, like, 
from hero to zero in like 12 seconds, right? So for you and I, who are ordinary people, sometimes we don't get it. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand. And the Holy Spirit's job is to help us understand, is to teach us, it's to remind us. Because just like Peter, our own human intellect, no matter what your IQ score was, I don't, I don't care if you had a 30, what's the highest score on the ACT now? 36, 34, something? It doesn't matter, all right? Apparently I didn't get that number. Um, whatever your number was, right? It doesn't matter. Sometimes we just don't get it. And just like Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This wasn't a human thing. This was a God thing. We need God to intervene and to teach us. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and to remind us of what Jesus has taught. Let's jump to the next point. Uh, John chapter 15, still part of the same conversation. Jesus says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, um, I don't know about you personally, um, but most people hate jury duty. And I have this weird, sick, twisted enjoyment of it. Um, now, I don't want to waste a bunch of time sitting in a room doing nothing, but for whatever reason, and you would think being a pastor, like instantly I was disqualified, right? You would think like they find out I'm a pastor, like we don't want you on our jury. So, so far, every time I've been called, I've, I've gotten a letter for jury duty, I've actually served on the jury, and I kind of enjoy it. As long as it's like a one-day deal. My wife got a letter this summer that said she had been selected as a pool um, for a seven-week federal trial. And it was a big deal. And it was like one of those, like, there's potential that we could, um, you know, have to, like, put you up in a hotel. You won't be able to go home. Like, you, you know, like, big-time stuff. Like, I don't want to serve on one of those juries necessarily. But um, I really enjoy serving on juries. I just find it interesting and, and fun. Um, matter of fact, the very first jury I served on, I, so I was the number two juror selected. The number one juror selected was a lawyer. Like, I'm like, surely, so we both sat down, introduced ourselves. He's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. What do you do? He's like, I'm a lawyer. And I'm like, oh, we're both out of here. Like, it's, it's two minutes. They find out what we do. We're gone. We were the first two selected. And we were kind of joking like, okay, so a lawyer, a pastor, we were like, all we need is a priest. And this would be like the beginnings of a great joke. Like, um, but uh, I enjoy it. And, and here's the deal. Uh, the most, at least from my very limited experience, I'm by no, mean an ex, no means an expert on law or courts or anything like that. But from my experience as a juror, um, witnesses play perhaps the most key fundamental role. And it's not always just what you see, because a lot of times people who were called to the witness stand weren't even there. But they're, they're called to the witness stand because they're an expert in a particular field. And they can describe to the jurors, hey, here's a piece of evidence. Now let me tell you from an expert's perspective why this evidence is significant or not significant. Let me tell you what this piece of evidence can give us and what it can't give us. And so wit I, the eyewitnesses were obviously there, but a witness in a court does not necessarily have to have been there, but they have a particular set of skills or knowledge or expertise 
or experience, that means their voice has validity. And what Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit is going to come and bear witness about Jesus. And that we too, as disciples, as followers, are going to bear witness about Jesus. That you and I have unique information. You and I have unique experiences. We weren't eyewitnesses. None of us saw Jesus. None of us heard him with our own ears. None of us saw the crucifixion or the empty tomb. But we have life experiences. We have things that Jesus has done in us that give us a voice, that give us an expert testimony that we can bear witness about Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us as well. John chapter 16. Let's look at the next thing that Jesus says. Starting in verse 7, John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit's going to come and do a work and bring conviction about sin because this world has gone wrong. It doesn't take any sort of expert to recognize our world's broken. Now, not everybody knows why or the causes or the, the backstory, or, but everybody recognizes our world is broken. But those who believe in Jesus have a unique perspective on why it's broken. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and bring conviction about why our world is broken to give perspective to those who don't believe so that they understand. The Holy Spirit's going to come and bring conviction about righteousness. Here's an interesting point about that word righteousness. In the Greek, the, what this was originally written in, when we translate it to English, there is one Greek word that sometimes we translate righteousness and sometimes we translate to justice. Righteousness and justice are the same words. Our world is broken and our world is crying out for justice. I mean, think about our culture right now. At every twist and turn, people cry injustice and demand something be done. There's a lot of legitimacy to the cries of injustice. I'm not downplaying a lot of them. Our world is broken. There is injustice. And the Holy Spirit comes to not only declare, hey, our world is broken, but there's a solution. There is justice. There is a way that you and I can find righteousness in our lives and be justified by God. That our dependence upon finding justice isn't upon a system of laws and courts or through public opinion and public trials. We have another way to find justice. And concerning judgment. Because one day, Jesus is going to return to finish what he started. 
Because for all of us, believers and unbelievers alike, judgment is coming. Justice will be finalized. And the Spirit comes to communicate and to convict within the world of these things. One more. John chapter 16, let's go, really, we stopped in verse 11. We're just going to pick it back up in verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit comes to guide us into truth and to glorify Jesus. To guide us into truth and to glorify Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things that the Spirit is coming to do. A lot of things. And here's what's tempting. And this goes outside of the realm of just talking about the Holy Spirit, but just about Christianity in general. Is that a lot of us treat Christianity as though it were a spectator sport. In a lot of different ways, right? We'll let... maybe you'll come to church and you'll just watch other people do Christian things. Singing songs, reading, teaching the Bible. We sit around and wait for God to take care of things for us. And most of our prayers are filled with, God, this is what I need you to do. This is what I need you to do. This is what I need you to prevent. This is what I need you. This is how I need you to change my boss or my spouse or my neighbor or whatever. Like this, 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 this. Here's my to-do list for you. Because we think that everyone and God himself is supposed to take care of everything. Here's what's interesting about what Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit in this passage. I'm going to go back to two points that we've already read. The very first passage in John chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples, the world cannot receive the Spirit. They won't recognize him and they don't know him. And then he says in John 16, verses 7 and 8, the ones we the second to last ones we read. Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do, if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, I want you to imagine that I said, this This is going to relieve poverty. This is going to bring encouragement to those who have none. This is going to bring about justice where there's injustice. This is going to go to further truth and what we stand for. And then I hand it to you. The only way these things come true, 
about what I proclaimed over this, when I hand it to you, is if you get involved. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not sending the Spirit to the world. The world can't receive the Spirit. It won't recognize Him, the Spirit. The world doesn't know Him. I'm sending Him to you. Yet, I'm sending the Spirit to do a work in the world. And when we read these things, it, it almost seems as though we're supposed to sit back and just watch the Spirit work. As though we're supposed to just sit back and let the Spirit do what He does. But Jesus said, hey, this is what all of this is going to accomplish. And now I'm giving it to you. Which means you now become a steward. If we were continuing with this money example, that means if this is going to bring justice where there's injustice, then you would have to have your eyes open for injustice and be willing to get involved. If I said this was going to relieve poverty, if this was going to bring hope to the hopeless, that means you've got your eyes open, your ears open, and your hands ready. That's the only way it would work. Jesus says this is what the Holy Spirit's going to come to do when I send him, but the world doesn't know him, doesn't recognize him, can't receive him. But you can. Which means both the Spirit is not just for us. The Spirit isn't just about making us more holy or helping us to grow. That's most certainly a part of what the Spirit does in us. But the Spirit is also supposed to work through you, not just in you. So when Jesus is having this final moment with his disciples saying, you're going to carry on my ministry and my mission. Last week, actually we've read it on several different occasions, Jesus even tells his disciples, I'm going, but greater works will you do than I've done. We collectively and individually are to carry on his ministry and his mission. And one of the key components of doing that is having the Holy Spirit come work in us and through us. That we are not to just sit idly by. Whether that has to do with your own personal growth and maturity or the ways in which the Lord wants to work around you but that we are to partner with God and what he's doing in us, in others, and in our world. Will you pray with me? Spirit, we invite you in this place and ask you to do what only you are capable of doing. That you would do a mighty work that you would convict and challenge us right here, right now. Convict us of sin. Convict us of righteousness and justice and convict us of judgment. Do a work in our hearts, but don't just work in us, work through us. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment.
So the most obvious question for you and I right now is, are you open for the Holy Spirit to come work in you right now? Would you recognize him if he came? Because Jesus promises that the receiving and the recognition will come only to those who believe in Jesus, who've placed their faith and their trust in him, who have said, I will no longer be the Lord of my life. I will give you the Lordship of my life. And when you come to that place personally, that you are giving him your life, and the Holy Spirit is your gift. In both Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is, is referred to as something like a deposit. That God gives you the Spirit as the first fruits, as the beginning of what you will later inherit. It's like the first taste of your inheritance, and it's God's presence living inside of you. The Holy Spirit is a symbol that you do believe that you are His. But the second question is, are you open for the Spirit to work through you? Now, maybe initially you would say, yes, I am. But what if right now the Spirit here was wanting to bring encouragement to someone in this room and he decided he was going to use you to do it? What if he impressed on your mind or your heart right now, so-and-so needs encouragement and I need you to get up and pray for him right now? Are you open for the Spirit to work through you? We might say yes, but when the moment comes, sometimes we back down and there may be someone in your world could be in this room right now, it could be at work, it could be in your home, in your community. There is someone who the Spirit is doing something or trying to do something in their lives. Maybe convict them of sin or justice or, or, or judgment or maybe bringing hope and comfort and love. But the Spirit is sent to you and the Spirit is prompting you, let me work through you. Be a steward of my presence. Are you open to the Spirit right now? Are you open to the Spirit working in you and working through you? And if you're not, the best place to start is in prayer and being honest with God. Being honest with Him about what scares you about that about what hesitancies you have. And then ask for his, his power to help you overcome that. Will you be open to the Spirit working not only in you, but through you this morning? And what we're going to do now is what we do every week. We, we open up the end of our service to allow the Spirit to be at work. And so if you want to stay right where you are in an attitude of prayer and just, just pray, then you do that. And maybe instead of just sitting, maybe the Spirit's saying, no, get on your knees. 
Get on your knees and pray. Be willing to humble yourself to come before me. If that's what the Spirit's leading you to do, then you do it. If you want to stand and sing and raise your hands and celebrate, then you do that. At the back is our communion table. If you want to make that a part of your worship time today to remember the the broken body and the poured blood, the spilled blood of Jesus on the cross that paved the way for us to receive the Holy Spirit in our lives. Before the death of Christ, God's presence was limited to a building, to a temple. Now the New Testament calls you and I a temple of God, that our bodies are a temple of the Spirit, that God now lives and dwells in us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you want to make that a part of your worship time today, you do it. And maybe, maybe God's telling you something else. He's telling you to get up and pray for someone across the room. Whatever the Spirit tells you, you do. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here. Would you continue to speak and to move in each of our lives this morning? We love you and praise in your name.